Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about value and everything it takes to produce it uh, in the mind of your customer. Today, I've got uh, somebody who's been a guest before, Christine Gilroy. Christine, say hi. Hello, everybody. Christine and I have been working together on some client engagements. Uh, Christine and I are kindred spirits. Um, For those of you who don't remember, she was a sales VP with one of the big SaaS companies, big software companies, Oracle, uh, in their customer experience. And so she helped clients put sales process and methodology and sales performance in place for many, many years from the um, sales tech side. And I was able to do that for many, many years from the sales training and consulting side. So we come at this uh, from slightly different angles, but we have very kindred, uh, we're very much kindred spirits in terms of the way we think about value and selling value and the importance of uh, selling value to not only sell more, but sell more at higher prices. So Christine, I'm thrilled to have you here. I am thrilled to be here, Mark. As always, it's a lot of fun when you and I have these discussions. Yeah, we, uh, it, it, it's, it's harder to stop than to s- to start talking for you and I. It's, it's really, I really enjoy working with you. So that's why we're here. Uh, this is the first episode, an introduction episode to season two of the Value Clarity Podcast. Uh, Christine and I have been talking about this for a while and uh, Christine is going to be conducting some of the interviews. And so we're gonna have two interviewers for the price of one. And I couldn't be happier that uh, Christine is, is there filling in and adding her great perspective. And so what we wanted to do today is kind of share what we, where we want to go. So Christine, why don't you start, say hi, uh, share some of your thoughts. Sure, great, thanks. Oh, I think Mark, uh, what we've talked about a lot and some of the things that you and I have shared is that selling is changing. And with the environment changing and with our, our social distancing requirements continuing on a little bit longer and we don't know when they'll end but we also don't know if business is going to go back to the way it was and you and I believe it's not so there's that buyer seller gap that's getting bigger and bigger as we are not able to spend more time with our customers and prospects so I think a lot of the conversations that you and I are going to have around value is developing that value and how you develop that value when you aren't sitting with your customer, so in the non-traditional ways, and then how to really lead with insights and, and lead your customers down the path of being able to have a deep conversation with you and trust you to have that conversation. So how can we help the sellers gain that experience and, and look at that from a different lens and a different perspective? So I, I think those are all the great things we're going to talk about in season two and bringing on a lot of different people from the industry that have had great success at this. Yeah, no, I'm really thrilled. So some of the ideas that we've uh, put together, and by all means, if you're listening to this and there's a major topic that you want to want to hear about, submit those. Uh, go ahead on to the uh, Bounty Consulting website, or even better, go to mark at bounty dot 
uh, mark at boundyconsulting.com. Uh, at least today, I just some somebody just figured out how to fool CAPTCHA on my contact form on my website. And so this morning, I've gotten 64 um, Viagra emails on my on my website contact form. So why don't you email me until I get that fixed later today at Mark at Boundy Consulting. But didn't that suck? <laughs> that is not well you know they know your wife's a doctor so they're comfortable at all angles i guess so anyway so we were talking we wanted to talk about uh, like the digital enterprise and um the fact that there's lots of tools but the tools aren't all the right tool for you and, and what tools are right and what it takes to transform uh your organization uh, if you're selling SaaS, what it takes for your customers to switch from on-prem to, to SaaS. Um, I, of course, operating virtually. Um, how the new sales organ, how the sales organization of the future is going to look like and operate like. Um, corporate culture and diversity. I think with a lot of the. Um, a lot of the, corp the the social unrest that we've had uh, in terms of racial and and racial diversity, um, you've come, uh, you've lived your entire life as a woman in a technology company, Christine. So tell us what that's like and what challenges you see for for tech companies um, with the way they've with the way they're hiring. Yeah, I think. You know, I, I, Oracle Magazine had interviewed me at one point and asked about what it felt like to be a woman in technology. And at the time when I was discussing it with them, I, I said, you know, I didn't really feel any different. And that was a lot of how I was raised. My dad raised me no different uh, than he raised my brother. We did the same things and he challenged me in the same ways and he held me to the same level of expectations. So I've always approached everything like that and I didn't really notice or pay much attention if things were happening, or if they did, I just found a way to work around them. And I think that's unfortunate because as I moved up the ladder and started progressing more and more in my career, I started to have comments uh, being made to me from female sellers that were much more junior entering the workforce and saying, you know, you're the first female that I've had between me and the CEO. And that made me sad when I heard that quote. And I thought, well, if I look back on it, I had the opportunity to work for two really great female CEOs, uh, Carol Bartz at Autodesk and Safra Katz at Oracle. And so it wasn't, between me and the CEO, there were only a handful of women, but below me, there were also only a handful of women. And so when you look at that, you have to say, where do we go find that talent? And I think it's hard right now. I think that's a challenge to find talent in, from my perspective, in technology, there's lots of STEM recruiting going on to, to attract more women and people of diversity into the STEM field, but then selling is also different. So how do we attract sellers and how do we attract diversity candidates into sellers? Yeah. So I think that's going to be the challenge for tech companies is there's just not enough talent available out there. So they're going to have to look at ways to develop them from an earlier age. So reaching into the communities before college or reaching the, the college age kids and start to advocate and also 
sponsor and work with them through internships and different things to help guide them to that so they can increase their pool of candidates. And then I would say, secondly, they probably mark me to look at within the candidates that they have on their staff and put together programs that allow people the opportunity to step up into their career into different levels and make it purposeful and intentional. And that's where I think we talk about taking diversity into action. That's my Yeah, point. you know, we keep thinking and people think short-sightedly, I think, about diversity in that it's a requirement. I really should reflect, you know, have, have my company reflect the, the mix of, of gender and population and, and, and uh, ethnic background and so forth as society, but it's so much more than that. Uh, diverse companies perform better. This isn't, this isn't kneeling at the altar of political correctness. This is making yourself more competitive. And I can't imagine any department any role, any corporate function where that is more important than the customer facing ones. I agree because companies hire right now, they hire to protect their own culture, to create and to protect the culture that they have. And technology uh, is, is one that does that really well where they create an environment or a culture internally for, the or for their own internal organization. But what we tend to forget when we're building our sales teams is that our sellers can't all look and act and think the same way because our customers do not. So your customer, your, your teams need to reflect a little bit more of what your customers are like. And that's where that taking diversity into action makes sense because it's the diversity of thought. That's the whole reason why you bring diversity to the table is getting the diversity of thought out there from different backgrounds, different opinions, different value systems, different beliefs and being able to come to the table with those differences in a nice harmony and a way to say, hey, I'm open to looking at different perspectives. I think about that now and what would that be like if we took that into our personal lives and how we looked at other things and other people's issues and the true definition of empathy and really putting ourselves in their shoes and looking through life through their lens. Uh, but just from a business perspective, that's what works. If you have a diverse team and you are open to having those people bring their diverse thoughts and open to change, those leaders are going to see their teams thrive in any kind of economy, but especially ones where the, where the competition is getting tougher and interaction with your customers are cut uh, in half. Yeah, I, isn't it weird that we're, we think of ourselves as tough, objective business people, but suddenly we, we have this conversation and we realize that the practice of mindfulness, being in the moment and listening without judgment or preconception is a source of corporate strength. And that duality between we have to create a culture uh, where we are comfortable with each other and we act the same or you know, we, we enforce some sort of conformity. But the other side of the duality, we have to seek difference and we have to seek diversity and how do you do that within a, a culture and maybe our culture should be a culture of accepting diversity rather than a culture of sameness and i've seen it but it's not um it's not the universal standard well i think no it's not and i think what companies did is they in the technology industry especially as they looked at well how many women do i have how many people of color do i have okay let's start hiring and filling some gaps but the leadership style and the motions of being able to to 
put together an environment where we were purpose-driven through the actions of what that diversity created. And that's probably the next step that they need to put more focus on in doing that. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'm taking a class at MIT called Design Thinking. And design thinking is there's a problem out there and we're going to brainstorm to figure out what the solution is. So we first identify the problem with it from a human perspective and then we have this large group brainstorming on it. And it's the very first time in my life that I have worked on a team that has so much diversity to it. From an age perspective, where we're from across the globe, where we, uh, what our backgrounds are, um, and also the color of our skin and our, what gender we are and, and all different types of preferences. It is an extremely diverse team and there are only 10 of us, but no one of us is the same. The thoughts that are coming out of that and the interactions that we're having is so amazing and we're getting further, faster than anything that I have done in my career. And so for me, I think that that's it. That's, that, that proves that the, having the diversity and welcoming the diversity of the thought and the experiences is what's going to help drive companies to the next level. And your sales teams can do that. Your sales teams can, you start to develop these individuals and pulling them from different places and putting together your team, you're gonna see remarkable results. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking back to one sales team uh, when I was at GE Capital, uh, remarkable sales manager. And one of the most remarkable things was there was, call it a dozen people in the Western region, you know, from Seattle down to here in Arizona. Um, as well as somebody calling on Alaska and white, but every single person on that team took a different approach to selling commercial real estate loans. One person would call on banks just looking for their turndown business. One person would call on commercial real estate brokers um, who are buyers reps looking to help people buy a piece of property. Some people were, um, looking at developers. Some people were looking at business owners and every single person was making their number. And when they weren't, well, let's find and see if there's a little diversity. And so that our team had a diversity of even sales approaches, marketing plans, but those came from the strengths those people had brought into the job and there were networks and the relationships they brought into the job. And it wasn't force fitting people into a preconceived idea of what was going to be success, but saying, go find there's go find a source for deal flow and use your strengths to maximize that flow that you, that is in your, uh, it's in your circle. What a cool experience. That, that would be cool. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's an intersection that you need to, to think about between in selling, there's a selling methodology that most companies want to do and, and we need to conform to that. So that's, that's the whole point of CRM systems and all these other tools is so that we can have some standardized method because we know what works. We analyze the data, we look at the behaviors and we understand what works. That's the science part of selling. Yeah. But then there's that intersection between the art of selling where you have to leave room for each individual to put their art to the method. And so when, you, when you're doing that, it's usually because the art is applied based on what the audience is. And so there's different sellers will behave in different ways and have different things that they do based on the person or the committee of people on the other side. And, and now that I actually just said that word committee, I'm thinking about it as uh, there, there's also this approach when, to team selling. So the more diverse the team is, the better off you are because 
your customer is no longer a single person buyer, especially my customers. I'm selling into the enterprise most of my career. Yeah. There's never one person buying. It's a committee buy. So when you build a very diverse committee team selling and you map that to the committee buying, your chances are greater. You know me. I love statistics, Mark. So yesterday I had this discussion with, uh, with someone at a technology company and he, he brought up team selling and I said, yeah, I've always done that. And I, I think it's the, the, the number one thing. It's the force multiplier that helps you go overachieve your numbers by leveraging all the other sellers that can sell into your account for you. And so I read a survey that Gong.io does a lot of surveys around selling methodologies and selling behaviors and things like that. They did a survey and it was something like 258% increase in closing the deals when you do the team selling approach. So think about that is an exorbitant number. I knew it was better. I just didn't realize it was that much better. If that team was very diverse, could we even take it further? Could we yeah. take the closing percentages higher if we did a team selling approach with a very diverse team from very different backgrounds and very different uh, looks and ways about us? I I want that statistic because I've always said, and you've heard me say it about 50 different times in different interviews that when I started maybe 30 years ago, there was five roles that touched the customer in my company, three, two of which maybe three had a sales title. And now I have clients that have 15 roles that touch the customer and sales is the minority shareholder. And not only the majority of minority shareholder in terms of minutes spent with a customer, but in terms of, trusted minutes spent with a customer everybody else on the entire team has more trust than the salesperson so that 248 percent sounds real when you start thinking about that reality that has kind of slowly formed over the last few decades yeah that's an interesting point what do you think is the the model that you you can implement in, in your team to make sure that you're doing doing those things to create that trust because you do need that trust and that diversity of team and that the extended team gives it to you. But, but your point to the seller is the one that has the least amount of trust. Like yeah. we, should unpack, we should unpack that one because that speaks squarely into the whole concept of value. If you're actually, you hear me say it over and over again, I just even posted today, don't just sell the value, be the value. Yeah. So being the value means create, getting, gaining that trust. I, I know you're the expert at it, so I think well, we should unpack that comment a little bit. I'm going to ask you the question now. What do, what's the thing that you can do to create that trust, not only within your selling team, but with your customer? Well, I, here, here's my initial thought. Uh, I want to give it some more thought when we talk about this in more depth. But the initial thought is I want to have all those, everybody who touches the customer, not take a full sales training, but at least understand the customer's business well enough and be encouraged and incentivized to ask a couple questions. Um, the example is when the installer is installing a piece of equipment, stand up, stretch your back, look at across the aisle on the factory floor where you're installing this thing and saying, that over there looks like a problem. It, does that everything go wrong? Tell me what happens when it goes wrong. Who all's involved? Who gets called in? And how many dollars does it cost, do you think, when that happens? Shut up and listen. And you don't have to sell. Take that back to the hive. Imagine if you're the salesperson who now knows that, and now you're the salesperson who understands that customer's business in such so much more intimate three-dimensional detail than every other salesperson, now you are the value. Those, your teammates give you 
the ability to be of so much more value. And we've positioned all these forward observers, these scouts, all over our customers' enterprise with their own viewpoints, their own vantage points, their own trusted relationships. And we are wasting those relationships because we tell those people, stay in your lane, stop talking about sales, don't talk about value. And that's just silly. So it means cross-training those people on how to have a business conversation, but it's not just the distraction of wasting their, you know, wasting somebody's time and teaching them how to have a discovery conversation. That's helping those people deepen their relationships with their folks. And uh, our next episode, the episode we're about to start on is going to be about switching from on-prem to SaaS. And we're going to talk about what happens when everybody in your enterprise is of more value in SaaS. And so I think that's, that's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. Absolutely. But I, I, I liked how you expanded on that because it, it does reinforce the, the dialogue that you just gave us, reinforces the value behind the diversity in that, right? So you're, you're expanding out the selling team and you're having these different touch points. And what happens and in the dynamics that you get is people respond, buyers especially, respond differently to different people tied to something in the organization, tied to the seller, right? So it's not, they'll tell the seller one thing, but they'll tell the engineer on the floor from the same company something else. They'll tell the pre-sales engineer, in my world, it's the guys that are doing the product demonstrations and, the, and setting up the strategy from a technology perspective. They'll tell them something different. And so when you have those different elements of diversity, the conversations really open up and they may open up because of the level of comfort that I might have with yeah. you and because you're, uh, the way that you approach yourself and, and the mannerisms or any kind of different things that, that we map that to the right customer and to the right people at the right customer. And that's where diversity starts to really sing and really yeah. make that lens uh, apparent for different people. And that's, uh, that's the power behind yeah, it. it it's, it's kind of fun um, stepping back and seeing how organized have be- organizations have become more specialized and more siloed, and then the silos have sub-siloed and narrower silos and soda straws. And we manage these siloed organizations and and so many big companies have become not for-profit organizations, but for process. And nobody knows enough about the customer. They know so little about the customer and value that they're just responsible for their process and hoping that somebody was smart enough to knit all the processes together into a good customer outcome. And in this changing world, that is more and more aspirational and less and less reason, real and reasonable, an assumption. No, I think we always have to, I was giving an analogy the other day, win a just race. Every sale you're going into is is like a war. So you've won, so you win, but you need to adjust in order to keep racing. And in order to keep winning, you have to keep racing, right? So it's, uh, they're adjust being in the middle. You have to constantly reevaluate and readjust. And that comes down to who you hire, how you hire, uh, how you are putting diversity into action, what your processes are what your flow is uh, and, and how to adapt that from, you know, the very beginning of the conversation was the technology piece of it. So how do you adapt those things for as your business changes and for the uh, value that your teams can bring to you? Because they may have different perspectives. They may have different needs. And so yeah. you always have to be willing to adjust your strategy in order to continue to win in that market and, and be in the race. 
Yep. So this is a taste of what we're going to be talking about as we go through season two of the Value Clarity podcast. And I hope you're as excited about it as I am. Christine, thanks. And we'll see you on episode two. Um, Looking forward to that very soon. Me too. Thanks, Mark. It was great to be with you today. All right. And thanks, everybody. We are on the Value Clarity podcast where we believe in in our heart of hearts that value only exists in the customer's mind, which means your success sits in your customer's head. Thanks and go have a valuable day. Well, it ain't easy because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customer's outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.